Well, good morning, Choice family. It's so good to be with you today. It's been a little while for, for myself uh, to be in worship here at Choice. I, I think it's been about a month and a half. Uh, we missed a few Sundays because of weather, and then we were out uh, a few Sundays. But it's so good to be uh, with you. We really treasure our time of worship uh, with our church family. It's, uh, it's my blessing to, to bring the message this morning in pastor's absence as we continue in our series on the real God. And we've been looking at the attributes of God, and this morning we're going to look at the wisdom of God. I want to do something a little different as we start off our time together in our message. Uh, before we jump right into the word and to the notes that we have before us, I want us to, to mentally think today about what is the biggest challenge in our life. Move aside anything else at the moment, but just think for a moment, what is your biggest challenge that you are facing right now? What is that thing maybe that you want God to fix, to step in, change, do away with? What is that one thing in your life? It may be the one thing that you just ask, why God, why this? And it's okay to be honest with God. I want you to think about that one thing this morning. Now, it could be a personal relationship. It could be a health situation. It could be your physical appearance. It could be financial. It could be a loss that you're experiencing. It could be a cultural battle that we're facing. I'm just giving you some ideas to think in case you're, you're, you're drawing straws here. But maybe you right away, you knew right away, hey, this is my biggest challenge. It came to your mind immediately. Maybe some of you are still thinking of what is that biggest challenge? What is my why God question right now in my life? It might be something painful. It might be something that makes you angry, causes you to doubt or even be afraid when you dwell there for a moment. Maybe it's confusion, something you just, just don't understand that's going on right now in your life or in your world. It's probably something that's out of your control or mostly out of your control. It's not something that, that maybe is a result of sin in your life. And it's not necessarily something that maybe someone has done evil to you, but it's just that, that thing, that big thing, that big challenge in your life. It could be something you've been praying for for the last couple days or maybe the last couple decades. What is that big challenge, that big why God question in your life and in your heart. Do you have that in your mind right now? Because we want to take that thing, whatever it is, and we want to talk about the wisdom of God and why he has that in your life. Now, I don't know what that thing is for you. Uh, they could be as different as many people are here, as many people are watching. But whatever that thing is, I want you to know that the wisdom of God that we're gonna talk about this morning applies to that thing that is in your life, that is in your world. Think about this definition of wisdom. That attribute of God where he produces the best possible results in the best possible way for the most possible people for the most possible glory. And that's kind of a long theological definition. It comes from a systematic theology book by Burkhoff, adapted it a little bit. But think about that just for a moment and ask yourself, do I believe that about my challenge, that thing, that why God thing in my life right now? 
I'll read that again. This is, this is powerful for us to understand it and believe it and to apply it what's in front of us. That attribute of God where he produces the best possible results in the best possible way for the most possible people for the most possible glory. Now, what if we believe that about whatever the biggest challenge was in our life right now? That this is the best possible thing that God could do in our life right now. Do we really believe that? Maybe not because it's difficult. Maybe not because we're confused. But if we believe this attribute of God, it forces us to apply this to all the circumstances of our life, even the biggest challenges. What if we believed that statement about the wisdom of God and applied it to the challenge that's in front of us today? Well, why does wisdom matter? We're talking about the wisdom of God today and these attributes. We're in the fifth attribute of God in this real God series. And we've talked about God's goodness and we've talked about God's sovereignty. But this morning we're talking about God's wisdom and how it applies to our life. And what, what does it matter that we understand the wisdom of God? And how can we get some of that into our life? And those are some of the things that we're going to be answering uh, this morning, especially when life comes at us. When life uh, confronts us with really challenging situations, our responses can sometimes fall on one of two extremes. Uh, we can fall on one side of hubris, cocky arrogance, and the other side we can, we can fall on is hopelessness and despair. And, and normally we don't have a, a balanced approach to life's challenges. We want to, to run, <laughs> hide, or we get in this fighting, arrogant uh, position where we want to battle uh, what's in front of us. And neither one of these options really demonstrates understanding the wisdom of God. Now, there's true. Some things in, in life that we need to, to flee from. Uh, Paul talks to Timothy about those things. And there's some, some things that we need to approach with a battle mindset. But the conflicts in our life, many times, the challenges in our life, that it's been placed there by God in his wisdom. And our first reaction is, God, change my circumstances but does it occur to us that maybe God doesn't want to change our circumstances? He wants to change us. He wants to change what's inside of us. And it may be like Paul who's praying, Lord, take, uh, take this affliction away. Take this thorn in my flesh away. Whatever your circumstances, whatever that big challenge is. But what if it's God's bringing that by his divine wisdom to work out the most possible good in your life and the life of all those around you? Now, we don't always know what the outcome is of God's wisdom. But it, as believers, by faith, we trust that God is working all things together for good. And we trust in the goodness of God, in the sovereignty of God, and in the wisdom of God. Why does wisdom matter? Well, it helps to define wisdom, as we did just a little bit ago. But it also helps if we can experience and think back in our life to a time where we've benefited from the wisdom of God. Maybe you go back to a prior situation. Whatever your big challenge is, now it's probably not your first big challenge. There's probably, if you look back in your life or the last couple seasons, the last decade or two, depending on how old you are, you've, you've come across some experiences where you met a challenge in your life and you thought maybe God had made a mistake, if you're honest. You thought, well, why is this happening? Why would God allow me to experience this? And it could be related to your challenge now. It could be something similar or something altogether different. And I remember going back a few decades, um, I was finishing up high school 
And this is just a story to give you an idea of, of how we can experience God's wisdom in our life through difficulty. Um, I was not the best student. In fact, no one in my family would consider our, ourselves academics. Uh, we tried to survive, press through, get through school, and then go get a job and work hard. We did believe in hard work. And so school for me was about sports, and it was about uh, getting to 2 o'clock, 2.30, whatever time school started, and getting on for the rest of my day, <laughs> the rest of my life. I'd press through it, I ordeal. In fact, it came to my senior year or it was so bad, I actually had found out how many days you were allowed to miss by state law, and I believe it was 40 days at the time, and I took it right, right to the max. I said, man, if you can miss 40 days, I'm missing all 40 of them, and I, and I did, and I got letters from the school, and they were saying, hey, you know, you gotta make sure you come back so many days. Uh, it, was, it was bad, maybe I needed more accountability, uh, more responsibility in my life, but I did not care uh, for school. I didn't put my best effort uh, forward, but I, I pressed through, I did what I had to do, and I, and I got through. I remember struggling in, in several subjects just because I didn't put the time into it. And really, I had a fixed mindset. I thought, well, I'm just not good at these things, so I won't apply uh, myself to them. I remember in a speech class in school, I believe it was my sophomore year, we were required to take speech. And a part of this class, one of the project's assignments was, was of course, you had to give a speech. And rather than give a speech, I just took the zero. I said, there's no way that I'm getting in front of the class and quoting a poem from memory. I don't even like poetry. This is my thought at the time. And I don't like talking in front of people and I'll take the zero and that's what I did. And that was kind of my attitude towards school. Well, fast forward, God is, is working in my life and despite my wisdom, I felt God was, was calling me into ministry. And the things that ministry entailed were things that I thought I was not good at, but there was something in me that said, this is, God, this is what you want me to do. And I'm willing at that point to surrender and do what you want me to do, but I don't see how this is gonna work. I don't see the wisdom in these circumstances. Because a part of this path was going on to get a Bible education, prepare for ministry. And so I went to college. I was the first person in my family to go to college. But in the back of my mind, I'm still thinking, I'm not an academic person. I'm gonna press through and do what I have to do, and then I'll go into ministry. I ran into my first uh, challenge, English 101, which is really a grammar class, and I was not very good at grammar. I remember I took that class twice my freshman year. And then the more daunting task as I got to my sophomore year is really where I came to a crux of decision, is now I was realizing that not only was I not good at English and didn't put the time into it, I now have to take Greek and then I'm gonna have to take Hebrew, semester after semester of it. So I took Greek my first semester and that's when I came to a decision. I said, you know what, I am not gonna go this route. I looked through the college catalog and I found another degree where I didn't have to take any languages. I was looking for the easy path, right? That summer, I changed my major and I even started looking for another college. I found out from some friends that there's actually a college across the country that's much easier academically and you can just skate through it. <laughs> and I went and I visited that college and I was at a point of decision, but here's, here's what I thought. I thought uh, that the easy way would have been the way of God's blessing. But the reality is, is the easy way is rarely God's way. The easy way is rarely God's way. But that's what we think. We think, God, if you would take this challenge and just move it out of the way, then, then my life would be so much better. And that's our wisdom, right? But I didn't make those transitions. I decided to go back to the same school and I decided to switch my major back. And I went back and I took Greek and I took Hebrew. In fact, I ended up staying and working on a, a master's where I took almost 30 credits of Greek and Hebrew. And I, and I pressed through and I learned and I changed my mindset. And I said, well, God, if this is where you have me and this is where you want me to be, then I'm gonna press through these things. And now the, 
The strange thing is, is that I, I get up and I speak all the time. <laughs> Before, I would not even want to get up and speak. Um, I didn't want to learn languages, and, and now I write and produce content for several different websites. I'm writing thousands of words a week. I'm speaking the next month. I'm speaking about a dozen times in different places. And I think back to that moment where I said, well, if I was looking for the easy way, and I was looking for the paths to all be cleared and all the obstacles be God, I wouldn't have stayed on the path that I was on to become what God wanted me to become. And I'm still being worked on. God is still working in me in different areas of my life. But here's the thought. We think that, that if, if God would just do for us what we want him to do, then our life would be what we want it to be. But the reality is, is the wisdom of God is not just placed in front of us on a silver platter, but the wisdom of God is experienced uh, through challenges and difficulty as we press through what God has placed in front of us. And so the easy way is rarely God's way. You say, what about that old adage, that old saying, work smarter, not harder? I, that used to be something I lived by. I said, hey, that's my dad used to say that all the time. Hey, work smarter, son, uh, not harder. And sometimes we apply that to life as well. We say, like, well, let me look for the easy route and sometimes we, we do that. But I do believe working smart is, is important. But here's how we apply this to the, the, the lessons of life. We look for the easy path sometimes, but it's not always the smart path uh, and the wise path and the most beneficial path. When you're looking to create a new tool for work or for industry, it's actually a very difficult thing to do. And it's very difficult for people to change their behaviors, to switch to a, a new methodology or take advantage of a new tool. And that adage, work smarter, not harder, is normally referring to tools, like get the right tool for the right job. But you know what people had to go through to create that tool? Test after test, trial after trial, failure. And they had to come off the job and figure out what is a, a better way. And it was a very difficult process. And now we enjoy the benefits when we go to use a tool. We go to build something. We go to make something. And we benefit by that. And we say, hey, work smarter, not harder. But I want you to think that, that God is, is more working in our lives as that tool that he's creating to apply wisdom to our life. And we look at these obstacles and we look at these challenges and often our first gut reaction, our first emotional reaction and our prayer is, Lord, change my circumstances. Take this challenge and move it away. But it is the wisdom of God to change our inside more than our outside. That is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is more concerned by changing what is inside of us and what is going on in our mind and our heart and our emotions and our will more than he is in changing the outside. I wrote it down like this. This was easy for me to remember. We'd rather change our address than address the real issues. And really, I think that's what God wants to do. He wants us to address the real issues, but often we think the solution is change our address. Well, if the relationship's not working, let's... Let's change the relationship. Let's go find a new one. If the job's not working, let's, let's go find another job. If the church isn't working, I've run into a conflict, let's, let's go find another church. And we can do this again and again. Now, I'm not saying there's not a time for change. I'm not saying there's not a time for transition in life. People change jobs. They get new opportunities. They change churches. They move from one location to another. But I think this is more of our mindset today than it was in yesteryear. That if we run into a problem, let's just change our address rather than address the real issue. But the problem with that is we escape the lessons of God's wisdom in our life. Rather than God's wisdom being poured out in our life as we navigate a difficult circumstance that we don't understand, that we haven't experienced, and we have to trust and rely on him as he walks us through it, 
That's where we learn the lessons of wisdom. But we'd rather change our address than address the real issues. It's very dangerous for us to make decisions of change and transition uh, when we're in a dark moment. Um, and that's often what we do. We're in, a, we're in a dark moment, we're in a difficult circumstance, and then we make decisions that really alter our life. And we want to be careful to make decisions during that time. We want to rely on the Lord's wisdom and ask the Lord, what is it that you're trying to teach us? And so we need to understand, we need to know what wisdom is. And there's just a few thoughts in the message this morning. I think we need to start with knowing what wisdom is. I shared the definition earlier, the attribute of God where he produces the best possible results by the best possible means. That's the wisdom of God. Webster's Dictionary defines not the wisdom of God, but just wisdom in this way. It says, the quality of being wise, power of judging rightly and following the soundest course of action based on knowledge, experience, and understanding. So wisdom is not IQ. It's not street smarts or just smarts. It's not knowledge. But wisdom is the application of that knowledge to the circumstance. It is the application of knowledge. It's the ability to see ahead and know what knowledge you need to apply to your situation. And God is filled with wisdom. The root word of wisdom is to see and to know. Is to be able to look at the circumstance and know what to do and then do it. And that's different than knowledge. It's different than IQ. It's different than smarts. And so that's our idea of wisdom. I think of James chapter 3, verse 17. It says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Romans in chapter 11, verse 33, speaks of wisdom in this way. It says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Uh, Chip Ingram, who's put together this Real God series, and we're using his content for our small groups and our Sunday sermons. And he describes the, the wisdom of God as this, this beautiful tapestry that God is, is creating. And on one side, it looks beautiful. Have you ever done cross stitch or anything like that? You look at one side and then you, you go around to the back side and that's where you see all the knots. That's where you see the strings that are sitting out. And that's often what we just see from our perspective. But in God's wisdom, he sees the other side. He sees all things actual and all things possible in our life at the same time. This is the Lord. Uh, he is infinite in his wisdom. He is omniscient in his understanding. He knows all things all the time, both that are actual and both that are even possibilities. This is hard for us to even wrap our brain around. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, said this about wisdom. He said, wisdom, among other things, is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. It sees the end from the beginning, so there can be no need to question or conjecture. He goes on to say, all God's acts, all of God's acts, are done in perfect wisdom for his own glory, and then for the highest good of the greatest number for the longest time. Not only could his acts not be better done, a better way to do them could not be imagined. Now, maybe something inside of you says, I beg to differ. I, I would have done it this way. I look at the circumstances that I've gone through or a friend or a loved one, and I say, I, I would not have done it that way. It doesn't seem like there's any wisdom in that circumstance. And then we have to go back to, what is our view of God? Do we truly believe that God is a God of goodness? 
Do we truly believe that God, if he is a God of goodness, is also sovereign at the same time in control of all things everywhere on his throne, high and lifted up, raising up kings and setting down others, controlling circumstances in the lives of seven billion people at the same time, yet conscious of the past, the present, and the future, and as Colossians says, holding all the world and the galaxy together at one time, and he even knows all of our individual thoughts afar off before we ever think them. He knew us in the womb before we were ever born. This same God of complexity, of omniscience, is holding all these things together. And yet we say, I don't know if he's really wise, <laughs> right? You see, from our little perspective, and I, I really enjoyed uh, the quote you read from that book, because it, it, it makes us understand when we think about the galaxy and creation, about how truly small we are, but how big and vast the Lord is. And that his presence fills the universe, but at the same time, his presence possesses us as the spirit of God and dwells each of us that are his children. This is beyond our minds can fathom. So we have to believe that this God is a God of wisdom, that he actually knows what he is doing. And though it may seem like knots and strings from our perspective, but on the other side of the picture, he is doing the most possible good for the most possible people for the most glory for himself. We have to believe that by faith. We have to believe verses like Romans 5, 8, that God works all things together for good. When we look at what Tozer said, he said, wisdom among other things is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. There's a story that I've heard numerous times in, in different ways and we'll apply it to our topic today, this topic of wisdom. It's a story about a train operator from yesteryear uh, whose job at the time was to live in this little house by the train track and when the train came up on the radio that he was supposed to go down to the little control tower and switch the tracks depending on which way the train was coming. And he had to do it in a timely manner. He had to get there. He couldn't change the tracks too quickly when the train was at full speed because the train would derail. And that was his job, to get down there in a timely manner, make sure the track was going in the right direction in one of two ways. Well, the man who lived in the house also had a young son, and he got the radio call. He went down to the little little shed with the controls, and he had the track in the right position. Here comes the train, full speed, hundreds of people, 500 plus people on the train. And he sees his son, as he normally does, running and playing. But for some reason, his son is coming down the hillside, loses control, and lands at the bottom of the track. He notices he isn't moving. He's about 500 yards away from the father. The train is coming full speed. It is getting closer and closer. And the father realizes the son is not moving off the track. It appears that he's stuck. He cannot tell, but he is not moving. And, and he has really one of two things he could do. He can divert the track, but the train is too close at full speed. The train will derail, possibly killing up to 500 people, but he can save his son. Uh, or he can leave the train on course and take the life of his son. Wouldn't it be great to have wisdom in a moment like this? The problem is, is, is we probably don't have the wisdom to make this decision, to be honest with you. Now, we could talk about what would be the most sacrificial decision. We could say, well, he sacrifices his son for the multitude. Uh, we could argue what is the most loving decision as a father. And we could say, save his son, derail the train. 
Uh, we could talk about these different decisions, but we really couldn't answer the question, what is the wisest decision? Because we can't see the beginning from the end or the end from the beginning. Only God can do that. What if this son is the one who creates the next cure for cancer or he becomes the next Billy Graham and impacts millions of people? Or what if that person's actually on the train? And God has plans that he's going to impact millions or billions of people. See, we don't know. We don't know the, the end from the beginning. It takes wisdom. And, and truly, this is only God. And when we look at circumstances like this, we have to truly trust in the wisdom of God. What is going to do the most possible good for the most possible people for the most glory? And when we look at difficult circumstances in our day right now, and there are many of them, every time we turn the news on, every time we open up social media, we see difficult circumstances that real people are facing every day. And we may be honest and say, you know, I don't see the wisdom in this outcome right now from my perspective, but we remember that our perspective is, let's bring it in, is so small, is so tiny. And I'm not trying to belittle you. I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm not trying to say you're not smart, you're not wise, but this is just the, the limitations of our humanity that we know and see so little compared to our God the creator and the sustainer of the universe, who sees and orchestrates all things, who is a God who is good, but also just, a God who is all-knowing and all-seeing, a God who is sovereign, and a God who is wise. That is the wisdom of God. Now, how does God reveal his wisdom to us? You know, the scripture is full of examples of God's wisdom being revealed to us. We'll share just a few through creation which has already been mentioned. In Psalm 104, verse 24, it says, O Lord, how manifold are your works and wisdom. You have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. Our family had an interesting discussion. I believe this was last week. We had a warm day, and we noticed immediately the mosquitoes had come out. And I don't remember who it was, uh, but someone asked the question, why in the world do we have mosquitoes? <laughs> You know, we look at creation, you say, well, everything has a purpose. If God is always God, why are there mosquitoes? This might be a lighthearted way to look at some of the questions we ask of God. I actually did Google that, and I found out they are important to our ecosystem uh, on feeding different critters and stuff like that. But those are questions we ask, right? In our limited wisdom, I didn't know that knowledge. I, I found it out a little bit there. I still wonder a little bit, like, what is the purpose, at least at my house? Like, do we have to have mosquitoes there? But God reveals his wisdom through creation. His wisdom, he's made them all by his works, everything that we see. We also learn of his providence and his providence reveals to us his wisdom. Psalm 33, verses 10 and 11. It says, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. You ever had your, even your plans come to no effect? Sometimes we think God just does that with the wicked, but sometimes he, he permits the plans of the wicked and yet prohibits or stops the plans of the righteous. Why? Because he's working together his will and his way and his time. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. You know, God reveals his wisdom through the story of redemption. We go through Genesis, through Revelation, and it's a story of redemption through Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in a little bit longer passage, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10, we see that God's wisdom is revealed to us in his plan of redemption. And really, that's the big thread story of the, of the scriptures, of the story of God. And why God does what he does 
We'd say first and foremost, it's to bring him the most glory, but it's also part of his plan of redemption, that he's doing things to bring people to the point of salvation through his spirit and through the saving grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, it says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Verse eight, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. That's the question we'll wrestle with. God won't always reveal to us in this side of eternity the outcome of his wisdom. But by faith, we trust in the goodness of God. Let me share one more here. A way God reveals his wisdom, we'd say through his son, through Jesus. Still in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, just back a previous chapter, it says, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. If you want to know wisdom, you need to know Jesus. Jesus revealed to us is the wisdom of God. You say, okay, that's great. I see where wisdom is revealed through creation and through God's providence and through his son and through redemption. But how do I practically get wisdom into my life? Because if you're like me, I don't want to waste a bad experience, right? I don't want to go through this challenge in life and get through the other side and God says, you didn't learn the lesson. Let me bring this one at you, right? <laughs> and maybe you feel like that, that sometimes. And that's a question we want to ask. God, what are you teaching me in this, how can I give you the most glory? But how do we get wisdom practically in life? Just a few thoughts as we close this morning. It begins with a reverence of his ways. Do we respect and give reverence to God when we realize he is sovereign in control and we say, Lord, you, you know what you're doing. Your ways are far better than my ways. Your thoughts are far higher than my thoughts, do we give reverence to God in his ways? Proverbs 1, 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and destruction. I think of Job 28. You know, Job knew a thing or two about big challenges. Uh, Job knew a thing or two about big why God questions. And Job 28, verse 28, it says, and and to man, he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. A very practical way to have wisdom in our life is, is respect and reverence God's ways. Say, God, I trust what you're doing. Lord, you're, you're smarter than me. Uh, you're, your ways are much better than mine. And other ways to just say, hey, Lord, I, I fear you. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. You know, wisdom grows in our life when we receive his words. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies. 
It's through God's law, it's through God's word that wisdom comes. The psalmist says, look, Lord, you make me wiser than my enemies through your commandments, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. Let me give you something really simple, right? That thing that we often overlook is just that daily time in God's word. It was uh, evangelist Billy Graham who said that he read a proverb every day for that day of the month, and he read a few psalms. He said, for I need wisdom on every day, and I need God's inspiration on every day. And that was a practice. And the psalmist would agree with that, for it's his meditation and his time in the word that he says gives me wisdom. And I'll say this lastly, just ask God for wisdom in the circumstance. Slow things down and and before you jump to conclusions or decisions, ask God specifically for wisdom. Isn't that what James says in James chapter one, verse five? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. The father wants to give us good gifts and what greater gift can he give us than the gift of wisdom? Colossians 1, 9 For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. By the way, Colossians 1, 9 through 16 is a great passage just to pray through. Change you for your name or whoever you want to pray for. And that's a great prayer right there. Praying that you and others might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom. We can come through a season of of life like this with the the pressures of COVID and all the circumstances of our day, and we can ask God the same question. We can say, God, where is the wisdom in this that we are experiencing? We can ask God, God, what, what is the wise outcome of what we are experiencing? Often when I do something, um, I probably could have done better when I did that task, especially those do-it-yourself uh, projects uh, around the house. I was looking at my fire pit that I built last fall in the backyard and went back to the house and I realized it was kind of, the ground was kind of sloping. You know, I thought this was foolproof. You just take these stones, it's a kit, you make it round. And, and I probably could have went back and leveled the ground and, and made it flat and then re, but I didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm okay sometimes I'm not doing things in a, in a great way. But you know, that's not who the Lord is. Sometimes we look at circumstances, well, you know, maybe this was plan B. Uh, but God doesn't have a plan B. That God is intentionally, sovereignly working things out. And there's never a moment when God realizes he should have gone with plan B or that he should have done something differently. Each of his works are worked out because of his wisdom and his sovereignty. And all the ramifications are in control and governed by his perfect hand. And that includes going back to your big challenge, your big why God question. Father, this morning we pray, so we bow our heads and we give you our hearts and we meditate, Lord, on your wisdom. And Lord, we're reminded this morning from your word that you control all things and govern them and guide them by your perfect hand. And Lord, every action by you is like a boulder dropped in the lake and there's ripple effect after ripple effect. 
And Lord, we might just be catching the first wave and ask ourselves and ask you, why is this happening? Lord, you're, Lord, you have a plan way beyond us. Yes, Lord, you care for us and you love us and you're working these things out in our life. But Lord, you also have a plan for our neighbor. You have a plan for our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. You have a plan for our brothers and sisters across the globe. And, and Lord, you, by the power of your hand, can work all things together for good. So Lord, this morning, may we see your wisdom. May we understand your wisdom. Or may we seek and ask for your wisdom. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.